China's leader ordering preparation for wars, Xi Jinping requesting the Chinese military to devote all its energy to gearing up. A top U.S. general saying the U.S. will help train and equip Taiwan. At the same time, a Navy admiral sending out a warning. The president of the California Board of Education getting a major award. The education accolade totaling nearly $4 million. But it comes with a strong link to Beijing. A tech company finding a way around Washington's sweeping sanctions. We zoom in on what a U.S. microchip giant has done to keep selling chips to China. And Germany blocking Chinese investors from buying two German chipmakers. The economy minister saying his country isn't naive. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we turn to today's news, we'd like to thank the sponsor of today's episode, email and messenger app Secure. Every click, every post you share online is scanned and monitored. Big tech is watching. Your data is not yours. It's being mined and stolen. In 2020 alone, over 150 million Americans were affected by data leaks. The average American's personal data was stolen over four times during the course of the year. Now, there's a new way to build privacy online. Introducing email and messenger app Secure. Secure's servers and data center are hosted in Switzerland, home to the world's strictest data privacy laws. Secure is the only secure messaging and email app that does not rely on big tech companies like Amazon, Google, or Microsoft. It uses proprietary encryption technology and an independent platform to safeguard your data. Secure doesn't ask for your phone number or copy your contacts. Instead, add people through their secure numbers. And for non-secure users, there's a chat by invite feature. Visit secure.com to learn more. Get started with Secure Messenger for just $5 or $10 for the email and messenger package. Use promo code Tiffany for 25% off. The head of the Chinese Communist Party is sending out a directive to China's military to devote all its energy to preparing to fight in wars. He made the comment during visit to the Chinese military's highest wartime command center on Tuesday. CCP leader Xi Jinping also added that China faces increased instability and uncertainty in its security. He didn't specifically name any region by name, but it's believed he was referring to Taiwan. Beijing considers the self-governed island a breakaway province, one that must be reunited with the mainland by force if necessary. Taiwan is governed by its own constitution and democratically elected leaders and has never been ruled by the Chinese Communist Party. Xi Jinping's speech comes after the Communist Party's 20th National Congress last month. There, Xi secured a third term as the party chief, paving the way for him to rule for life. During the meeting, he indicated the party is shifting its top priority from economic growth to national security and urged the Chinese military to improve its so-called ability to win. On the other side of the Taiwan Strait, the U.S. has been helping Taiwan militarily amidst tension with China. But exactly what kind of help has Washington offered? A top U.S. general gave details on Wednesday. 
General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said U.S. troops would help train and equip the Taiwanese army. Last year, media reports emerged that U.S. troops had been secretly deployed in Taiwan, set to train Taiwanese soldiers. The news angered China. U.S. authorities declined to comment. Meanwhile, another U.S. military official issued a warning last week. Navy Admiral Charles Richard, commander of the U.S. Strategic Command, said the war in Ukraine is just a warm-up. He advised the big one is coming. He went on to say, quote, And it isn't going to be very long before we're going to get tested in ways that we haven't been tested for a long time. Richard noted China is outcompeting the U.S. and fast. In his assessment of U.S. deterrence against China, he explained, The ship is slowly sinking, adding Beijing is putting capability in the field faster than we are. As for the big picture, Richard said it isn't going to matter how good our operating plan is or how good our commanders are or how good our forces are. We're not going to have enough of them. And in the waters nearby Taiwan, U.S. and Japanese forces launched a joint military drill Thursday. 36,000 troops are involved in a 10-day exercise. The drill, called Keen Sword, is happening in the waters surrounding Japan's southwestern islands some of them just a few dozen miles from Taiwan. Amid rising concerns about Beijing's infiltration, news from Academic is raising some eyebrows. The head of California's Board of Education has received a large financial prize, the money from the co-founder of one of the largest tech companies in China. Here are the details. Linda Darling-Hammond, the president of the California Board of Education, was awarded the largest education accolade in the world. The award, known as the Edan Prize, awards the winner $3.9 million. The founder of that prize is also the co-founder of a company with strong connections to the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. Fundamentally, the, the lesson we should take away from large gifts like this is that you should trust in the CCP at your own peril. John Metz is the founder of the Athenae Institute, which combats CCP influence on American campuses. Fighting the CCP on campus really is like playing whack-a-mole. They keep coming back uh, to try to buy influence over and over again. The prize was established by Chen Yidan, who is the co-founder of Chinese tech conglomerate Tencent. Tencent offers communication and gaming services, but also acts as a tool for the CCP to monitor online public speech and suppress dissidents in China. And that's why this gift is so disturbing to us, because it signifies that the CC CCP recognizes that in order to continue to influence the way young people think about it and think about its role in the world, um, it needs to uh, sort of build this financial leverage. Edan Prize awardees are allowed to keep half the money and donate the other half to support education projects. Darling Hammond, a professor emeritus at Stanford University and the founder of the Learning Policy Institute, received the Education Research Prize. While their activities may seem benign, you know, the investments may seem lucrative, the prizes may seem generous, uh, we should really make no mistake here. The CCP, the United Front, and really any institutions connected to them are no friends to the United States uh, or to Americans. Darling Hammond said she will use her funds to expand a new initiative for the Institute. The initiative, called the Educator Preparatory Lab, seeks to better prepare educators through research, networking, and collaboration with other programs. Between 2018 and 2021, 
uh, U.S. universities received uh, over a billion dollars in gifts from entities in mainland China or in Hong Kong. Uh, those gifts create a valuable source of financial leverage for the CCP, uh, which gives it influence over university curricula, uh, which gives it influence over uh, the way students and student groups are treated, um, and which fundamentally gives it control over uh, institutions that play a key role in shaping the next generation of, of leaders. Metz said the best way to combat this influence is to join organizations similar to his own and call for financial divestment from the CCP. Most fundamentally to uh, divest their universities and their other academic institutions from the Chinese government and from the CCP. We should not be giving the CCP leverage uh, over what we teach and how we teach it. And fundamentally that means removing the financial leverage that allows it to control what we teach. NTD reached out to Linda Darling-Hammond for comment. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. U.S. microchip maker NVIDIA has come out with a way to get around export controls. The Biden administration forbade the tech company from exporting advanced computing chips to China. The move sought to prevent American technology from aiding China's military development. That export curb could cost NVIDIA $400 million in sales. But the microchip giant has come up with a solution, producing a new type of microchip that does not break U.S. restrictions and can be sold to China. NVIDIA supplies several Chinese tech giants like online shopping giant Alibaba, technology conglomerate Tencent and search engine Baidu. The chips are used for artificial intelligence, among other purposes. So how does the new microchip skirt the ban? It has the same calculating ability as the restricted version, but less capacity to transfer data between chips, leading to worse performance for AI technology. The limitation means the new chip abides by U.S. regulation and can be exported to China. China is an important market for NVIDIA. Last year, the company raked in over $7 billion from China. That's over a quarter of its annual revenue. Germany is blocking the sale of two chip makers to Chinese investors. China is Germany's biggest trade partner. Yet right now, Berlin is looking for balance between doing business with the communist regime and reducing its reliance on China's market. That's amid security concerns. Let's take a closer look. The German government on Wednesday blocked Chinese investment in two domestic semiconductor producers. The moves had raised concerns over national security and the flow of sensitive know-how to Beijing. Speaking to reporters after the decision, Economy Minister Robert Habeck said Germany remains open to investments, including from outside the EU, but it is not naive about it. China is and should remain a trading partner, but we must not be naive and have to realize when trade and market interests are used for political power and possibly used against the interests of the Federal Republic of Germany so that we protect our own interests. The German government said it had vetoed the takeover of the chip factory of the Dortmund-based company Elmos by a Swedish company that is a subsidiary of Chinese group Sai Microelectronics. German media reported Berlin also blocked investment in Bavaria-based ERS Electronic. Habeck said it's important to realize that China was making a deliberate strategic approach to gain control of semiconductor and microchip manufacturing. 
China's Made in China 2025 initiative aims to build up a domestic chip industry and reduce reliance on Western technology. The decisions by the government of Chancellor Olaf Scholz comes at a time of heightened sensitivity around relations between Berlin and Beijing. The government is currently reviewing its policy towards China, especially in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which exposed Germany's heavy dependence on Russian gas. Prior to his trip to China last week, Scholz pushed through a decision to allow China to buy a minority stake in a terminal in Germany's largest port, despite opposition from within his coalition. Reacting to the move, Beijing accused Germany of politicizing trade cooperation. It also said the country should allow a fair and open market for what it called the normal operation of Chinese companies. New moves are happening between the U.S. and Taiwan. Officials from both sides met for trade talks in New York. This week, here is more. The meeting comes as the Biden administration has been trying to strengthen trade ties with the Indo-Pacific region. That's by establishing an economic cooperation pact called the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Taiwan was excluded from the pact. Instead, Washington sought separate trade talks with the island, called the U.S.-Taiwan Initiative on 21st Century Trade. Unlike traditional trade agreements, the plan doesn't include tariff cuts. What it does call for is shoring up certain trade issues. That includes getting rid of discriminatory trade barriers and enforce stricter labor environmental standards. Taiwan said the initiative would help the island build a competitive investment and trade environment. It added the move would propel small and mid-sized businesses toward getting a foothold in the international market. China condemned the meetings. North Korea is launching more missiles into the ocean this week. But according to the country's southern neighbor, some of the debris from an earlier launch were part of a Soviet-era missile. Let's zoom in. South Korea said it had identified debris from a North Korean missile launch as part of a Soviet-era projectile on Wednesday. That has North Korea launched at least one ballistic missile into the sea. Analysis by neighboring South Korea said the debris, which it believes came from a launch last week, belonged to an SA-5 anti-aircraft missile, citing its appearance and features. It was the first time a North Korean ballistic missile had landed near South Korean waters. North Korea said the launch was in protest against joint air drills by South Korea and the United States. Wednesday's launch comes a week after North Korea test-fired multiple missiles, including a possible failed intercontinental ballistic missile. Japan's Coast Guard said on Wednesday the ballistic missile appeared to have fallen into the sea minutes after the launch was reported, drawing condemnation from Tokyo. Here's their defense minister, Yasukazu Hamada. Since the beginning of this year, North Korea has repeatedly been launching ballistic missiles at an unprecedented rate, significantly heightening tensions on the Korean peninsula and in the region. North Korea has rapidly escalated its provocations, and such unilateral actions are a threat to the peace and stability of Japan, the region, as well as the international community, and are absolutely unacceptable. Hamada added that Japan's government had lodged a strong protest with North Korea via diplomatic channels through Beijing. South Korean and U.S. officials have said Pyongyang has made technical preparations to test a nuclear device. 
which is the first time it will have done so since 2017. North Korea said earlier this week that its missile tests targeted the U.S. and South Korea, specifically air bases and other centers for operation. Coming up, midterm election voting day is over, but with changes happening on Capitol Hill, will the shift have an impact on Washington's China policy? I think China has risen on the priority uh, list for either party's leadership. Uh, at the end of this current Congress, there was efforts by the Democratic leadership to make sure that they were pushing back on the economic challenge that China presents. Uh, many leading Republicans put forward bills that would go after everything from the military challenge, the Taiwan situation, or uh, the malign influences that we would say uh, within the United States. Alongside bipartisan issues, America's two top political parties approach the situation differently. Steve Yates, former Deputy National Security Advisor at the White House, gives us his take on it. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Americans are still waiting for the final results of the midterm elections. But how is the turnout poised to influence America's China policy? And what's the common ground that both parties agree on? Steve Yates, former Deputy National Security Advisor at the White House, breaks it down. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, it seems right now with the midterm elections, we're still trying to figure out who is winning control of Congress. So on that note, let's look at some bipartisan issues. And it seems one area is China. But there does seem to be some differences in how each side wants to tackle that. So where do you see this issue going forward? Well, I do think that the new leadership in Congress, and I assume given where the outstanding seats are, that we're going to be seeing a small Republican majority. Uh, but either way, I think China has risen on the priority uh, list for either party's leadership. Uh, at the end of this current Congress, there was efforts by the Democratic leadership to make sure that they were pushing back on the economic challenge that China presents. Uh, many leading Republicans put forward bills that would go after everything from the military challenge, the Taiwan situation, or uh, the malign influences that we would say uh, within the United States. Uh, certainly, Jim Banks, someone who aims to run for leadership in a new Congress, uh, has made that a priority. So I expect there will be some focus. Now, the bipartisan parts of it are tricky, but they exist. One part is economic. Uh, the trade agenda that Ambassador Bob Lighthizer advocated for in the Trump administration actually had a lot of Democrats that were supporters of it. And there were some old school parts of the Republican coalition, like the Chamber of Commerce, that were against it. And so on the economic and trade agenda, if it's the America first model that Bob Lighthizer was advocating, there might actually be room for Democrats and Republicans to pull together. Uh, and when it comes to other domestic areas, like free speech on campus, uh, when it's not the focus of an election campaign where one side is seen as standing on one side and the other against, 
there are more Democrats who seem to be in the among the younger ranks that care about free speech on campus. And one of the bigger threats to that are Chinese influence operations, whether it's Confucius Institutes, uh, interference with student body elections, constraints on who can have what kinds of guests and topics to cover. Uh, and so there are some interesting groups across the country in this uh, campus reform movement and in the trade space where I think that there's a China focus and possible bipartisan cooperation. During the pandemic, we had a lot of lockdowns and small businesses were especially hit. And it seems the ones that were fine were the big corporations, which most of those things come from China or are made in China. So how do you see that balance playing out if we're, you know, bringing manufacturing back, but the ones who benefited the most are the ones buying from China? How do you see that? Yeah, so I am an advocate for a concept that Ambassador Lighthizer has coined called strategic decoupling. And what we mean by that is, of course, there will be some trade that will happen between the two countries. It's very, very difficult to have that go to zero. And we're not really in the business of fighting over whether store shelves are filled at Christmas or low-cost items on shelves, even though, from my point of view, I would be happy if that was all safe, short, or onshored. But certainly, we should have a broader consensus that nothing that is strategically vital to our national security, our economic competitiveness, our health and welfare, any of those things should be considered strategic. And none of that should be dependent upon uh, a supply chain that comes solely or in a majority from a potential adversary. And I wouldn't even call it potential. So uh, when it comes to high tech, communications technology, things in the energy space, uh, the, the pharmaceuticals and other parts of our, our, our health and welfare, all of those areas should be, I think, safe-shored as quickly as possible. It's just not an on-off switch, but we should be clear and strategic about the direction it's going and strategic about which things should move first. And we should begin yesterday. Steve, on the strategic point, it seems one area is the military, right, where you have currently Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We're sending a lot of arms there. Another one that's coming up potentially is Taiwan. There's a lot of fears around Taiwan. It seems both Beijing and Taiwan have been watching, watching what's happening with Ukraine. And in that, there's also the argument that we need to give Taiwan arms now. But that being said, it seems in America itself, our own ammunitions pile is going down. So how do you see this playing out? Are we going to have more funding in that area? What's happening here? Well, it's hard to know where Democrats may go on this topic. Traditionally, they have emphasized domestic spending at the expense of the defense or international area. And Republicans traditionally have been for a more muscular military, the theory being that the stronger the military is, the greater deterrent it is, the more likely others will avoid provoking a conflict with us. Uh, but those old ways of defining left and right or conservative and liberal may not apply to the period we live in right now and how things will come forward on policy. Uh, I do think that it's very important that we have our own stockpile of all strategic goods, whether it's energy, munitions, 
food, uh, all of these things that we must rely upon to survive. We should have our own independent supply and hopefully even stockpile of those things. That should be replenished. Uh, but if supporting Taiwan's effort to defend itself, supporting Japan's effort to defend itself and others, if that keeps a threat from China at bay farther away from American shores, that is also a very good investment. Uh, and hopefully we wouldn't have to pick either or in this regard, both a strong and fortified America that is resilient and self-reliant is good, but also forward deployed partners and allies that are capable of keeping that competition and potential conflict far from our shores is also important to America's national interests. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow. Secure, the true solution for your digital privacy and security. Secure is a private and secure messaging and email solution hosted in Switzerland using military-grade encryption and Swiss privacy laws, giving you true privacy. Secure is 100% private and does not collect or sell any of your personal data. Secure's Helix technology connects you securely to our Swiss servers without the need of a VPN, guaranteeing privacy and security for all your communications. Secure Messenger doesn't require your phone number or any personal data that hackers target. Chat by Invites allows you to chat privately and securely with anyone outside of your secure network without the need for others to download Secure. Secure Send offers you a private and secure way to email anyone outside of Secure. You won't find this level of privacy or security on any other email or instant messaging application. Visit secure.com. Regain and protect your privacy today.